Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are um, so grateful that in your love for us, you did not leave us alone, um, but you, you sent your son. We thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for coming to us willingly, joyfully, and uh, for the joy that was set before you, which is the, the salvation of our souls, the reconciliation of, uh, of your children back to your father. And you were willing to endure the cross. And we thank you, Father and Son, for sending the Spirit to us, that we might have good hope in this world, the assurance of our salvation, confidence that we belong to you and are your children. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be amongst us now, stirring our affections, softening our hearts, opening our ears and our eyes, that we might know and love Christ, and, and we might uh, be found in him when he returns. May the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. At the beginning of our, our worship service, we always begin with a prayer that's uh, appropriate for that particular Sunday in the, in the season of the church calendar. Last week, which is the, the day we celebrated the ascension of Jesus Christ into the heavens, our opening prayer was this. O God, the King of glory, you have exalted your only Son, Jesus Christ, with great triumph to your kingdom in heaven. Do not leave us comfortless, but send us your Holy Spirit to strengthen us and exalt us to that place where our Savior Christ has gone before us, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God in glory everlasting. Amen. We were asking Jesus on the occasion of his departure from this world to not leave us alone. And this week, as we gather under these red banners, we celebrate his answer to our prayer in the fulfillment of his promise. The resurrected and ascended Jesus Christ has sent the Holy Spirit to his church and his children in order that we might have the comfort of his continual presence, the guarantee of our own resurrection, and also be empowered beyond our human capacity to follow in Jesus' footsteps and faithfully work to further his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. You know, if the Holy Spirit wore hats, he would wear many of them. For the work of the Holy Spirit is expansive in the redemption plan of God. The various ministries of the Holy Spirit are, are too numerous for us to exhaust in just one sermon. We have to choose. And so that's what I've done for us. I've chosen to pair the story of the Holy Spirit's initial descent in Acts 2 with the story of God's descent at the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. And I've done this because the two stories, when considered together, communicate one of the great comforts that the Holy Spirit gives to the children of God. The Holy Spirit assures us of our significance and glory in a world that makes us feel rather insignificant and inglorious. He sets our souls at rest so that we might cease from our striving for significance and grasping for glory. See, humanity lives with this deep-seated insecurity about our significance in the world. 
We want to be known and loved while we are alive, and we want to be remembered long after we're not. It's an insecurity that has, no doubt, fueled many creative endeavors, but it's also an insecurity that's not easily quieted. The dark side of it allows no space for rest. It's highly competitive. We find significance in being the best. We we acquire glory with exclusivity. This insecurity is an enduring characteristic of our race, present in both ancient and modern peoples. In modern peoples, it shows up in places like Twitter. In ancient peoples, it showed up in towers. Both Twitter and towers betray the same insecurity that drives humanity. Underneath the skyscraper and behind the screen are people trying to make a name for themselves. The ancients stated it outright. In Genesis 11, we are told that at that time, the whole earth had one language in the same word, same words. It's trying to convey that this story is about humanity in general. It's not about any particular people or culture. You can't write them off. This is a story about humanity. You can't read this and say to yourself, yeah, that's those Babylonians, right? They're an arrogant, insecure people. Of course, they tried to build a tower to compensate for their insecurity, right? You can't say that. This is a story about humanity. And this people, representative of us, were migrating to the east when they came to a wide plain and had an idea. Let's build a city in order to condense our power, and let's construct a tower in the city center that reaches the heavens in order to prove just how impressive and powerful we are. In verse 4, this is precisely what they said to each other. They said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. You see, they were concerned with themselves, their glory, their legacy. This isn't a commentary on the creative and constructive developments that humanity has produced. This isn't a commentary on technology. In verse 3, we're told that by this time, humanity had discovered how to make bricks and mortar. They had brick for stone and bitumen for martyr. And there's no condemnation of this development. It was a good thing. God created humanity as creative beings, put on this earth for that very purpose, commissioned by God himself to be fruitful, to multiply, to build. The problem wasn't the brick and mortar. The problem was the employment of brick and mortar to resolve humanity's deep-seated insecurities about our insignificance, to make a name for ourselves. The problem was our motive. We have sought to achieve for ourselves what God alone can provide, which is peace and and significance and contentment, rest for our souls. It was St. Augustine who named what every human being experiences. In his confessions, he wrote, You have made us for yourselves, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. He was speaking for humanity here. Our hearts are restless and we're full of anxiety and depression until we give up trying to make a name for ourselves and instead rest in the love of Jesus Christ and his work on our behalf. I said that the ancients stated their motivations outright. We modern people have trouble identifying and and naming our motivations. We're in the thick of it. It's hard to see clearly. 
Instead, our motivations are betrayed by the unprecedented levels of anxiety and depression presenting in a generation of young people growing up in an age of social media. Our motivations are revealed in the cracks that are starting to show. Rather than building a singular tower to prove humanity's worth, we have set off on individual construction projects. The towers we build are now virtual. Instead of bricks, we build with people. We call them followers, which I guess makes us leaders. Each thumbs up is an affirmation and we're doing a good job. It provides us with a, a little rush of dopamine that creates an almost instant feedback loop, assuring us of our significance and value. Everyone is a celebrity. The entire world's available to us. It is the canvas on which we paint ourselves. And it's a limitless reality that's destroying us. We're limited beings who need boundaries to thrive. Yet our pursuit of glory and significance requires that we transcend limitations and break boundaries. You know, if you want to make a name for yourself, you got to do something great. You have to build the biggest tower. You have to have the most followers. You have to be the smartest, the skinniest, the wittiest, and the world must know it. God comes down at the Tower of Babel and he, observe, he observes that this is no good. We're going to destroy ourselves, right? And so he has mercy on us. And his mercy takes the form of putting an end to the construction project. He disperses humanity and he confuses our language. It was an intervention that, that did not reform our hearts. He scattered us, but our insecurity persevered and it only shifted with the creation of different languages and cultures. Our, our striving for significance took on a more nationalistic and individualistic flavor. One country tries to prove their superiority or dominance, just like we're now seeing with Russia's ongoing invasion of Ukraine. One person tries to project a perfect image to them, of themselves to others, just like we see on Instagram with its filters and edited photos. We continue to be deeply insecure. We continue to misuse the advancements to make a name for ourselves. And God's ancient diagnosis of our behavior continues to be accurate in the modern world. We're going to destroy ourselves. We're going to keep letting our kids destroy themselves. If we continue to pursue importance through Instagram or significance through Snapchat, the mental health crisis is only going to grow. And there are some practical things we can do. Parents, you can limit or delay your kids' access to social media. Parents, you can limit your own access. Turn off your phones. Leave them at the door when you come in your house. Engage instead in real physical interaction, face-to-face -face engagement. Let your kids get bored and give them laundry to fold instead of folding to their whining or complaining. Right? Be willing to be unpopular and disliked and weird. Andy Crouch has a great book called The TechWise Family that every family, if not every person, should, be, should read. It's, it's a realistic help for you. But deprivation, right, these sort of interventions is only part of the remedy. In fact, it's the smallest part of the remedy. Like the scattering at Babel, it will not produce a change of heart. What will change the human heart is the incarnation and ascension of Jesus Christ and the abiding presence and ministry of the Holy Spirit, whom he has sent to us on this day of Pentecost. To prove the significance of humanity in God's eyes, to assure us of that, 
The Son of God became one of us. He took on flesh and Jesus was born of a woman. He ate bread and fish with people. He drank wine with his disciples. He wept and laughed with us. He smiled and grimaced. He grew tired and needed to sit down for a minute. He longed for people and he needed time alone. He was completely human. And yet at the same time, he maintained his full deity as well. God and man were coexistent in one person. Through the incarnation, Jesus began to lift humanity from our great fall into sin and decay. He conferred dignity on us by stooping to become like one of us. He has exalted our race and he reminds us afresh that we are the apex of the creative activity of God. No other creature bears his image. Everything else he merely spoke into existence, but humanity he formed with his hands and and he breathed life into us by putting his mouth up to ours as if it were a kiss. If we were not significant in his eyes, then he would never have become like one of us. But we are, and so he did. And the miraculous thing is that after his crucifixion, after he had died in the body in order to pay for our sins in the flesh, he remains in the body. He was resurrected and ascended into heaven, into the throne room of the almighty God of the universe as an embodied human being. To this day, the Son of God is incarnate. Jesus Christ exists somewhere in the cosmos or perhaps in another dimension as N.T. Wright suggests, but he exists in flesh that can be touched and seen. He exists as a human being in the presence of God the Father. That's how important humanity is to God, our creator. If given the choice, you don't choose to be something you despise. And clearly God despises us not. And Jesus lent us further significance by sending the Holy Spirit to us once he had been established at the right hand of God the Father. This is a doubling down on humanity. Jesus came to us and now the Holy Spirit lives in us. It's pressing farther in. If the incarnation conferred dignity upon a corporate people, upon humanity as a whole, then the arrival of the Holy Spirit has conferred dignity upon individuals so that we might not just say that God cares about humanity, but that God cares about me, about you. Regardless of our ethnicity or culture or language, right? regardless of whether you are athletic or obese, regardless of whether the world calls you beautiful or ugly, regardless of whether you are a man or a woman, regardless of whether you are rich or poor, regardless of whether you are good or bad, regardless of all those things by which the world categorizes and classifies people, he loves you enough to live within you. Like God lived in the temple You are a temple to him, a beautiful dwelling place in which he's pleased to dwell, one that's being made more lovely by the day. His is the sort of love that we as a people long for. We long to be seen completely and known completely and yet loved. Don't you see only God can do that? There'll always be something that you're hiding from those closest to you, from your spouse, from your children, from your closest friend. 
There will always be something that you hide even from yourself, but always laid bare before God about you. He sees you and he knows you better than you know yourself. And beholding you in that vulnerable state, he says, I love you and I wanna be with you forever. I wanna take up residence in your life. He moves in when everyone else would move out. It's a love that is, that is fulfilling and, and satisfying when we dwell on it and think about it. Set your heart at rest. And more than that, it will transform the way you relate to the world and the work that you undertake during the time you have remaining in your life. Right? If your need for significance is satisfied in Christ in the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit, then you're freed to be creative and productive while, remaining, while, while maintaining respect for the boundaries God has set upon human beings. Techno technology no longer becomes a tool to make yourself known. It becomes a tool to make Christ known, a tool to do the work of making earth more like the kingdom of, of God. The tool does not own you. Christ does, and you control the tool. If you're satisfied in Christ and the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit, then you'll have greater ability to know when to stop. It is just as crucial to know how to stop as it is to know how to start. But if you're trying to fill up your own insecurities, there's no stopping. There's no end. Destruction is the end. If you're satisfied in Christ's love and with the abiding presence of the Spirit, then you will no longer be selfish with your resources, but instead produce or fund something that is a real benefit to humanity instead. If you are satisfied in Christ and the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit, then you will, know, have, you will have no reason to look down on other people and no culture will have cause to be offended by another. Christ gives us all a common story and a shared spirit. At Pentecost, the spirit did not reverse Babel. It did not mark the beginning of a new nation. There was no new language that was formed that day. Rather, the spirit enabled men and women to preach the gospel in the many languages of the nations. It was the testimony of those present that the gospel was communicated in the diverse languages of the Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. The Holy Spirit runs across all cultures and through all people, brown, black, white, every shade in between. He has given us a common story in Christ. He has given us a common song to sing, a common cup to drink, a common bread to consume. Jesus Christ has given us himself and a common spirit to unite us together. We are one in Christ with brothers and sisters all around the world in whom the Holy Spirit humbly yet joyfully chose to take up residence. He fills us up so that we are available to one another and to the city we live in and to the world at large. You are significant in the eyes of God. You don't need a thumbs up from some disembodied hand put on your screen by someone you'll likely never meet. You don't need followers. You need a leader and a guide. The Holy Spirit is that for you. You need companions. The Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church across the world is that for you. 
You need to be filled. And on this day, we remember that this is precisely the work of the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.